This is a Federal News Network podcast. If they can put a man on the moon, how come NASA can't line up its appropriations and its acquisition strategy for a new landing vehicle? A series of protests over a $3 billion award to SpaceX has turned up a lot of issues, as we hear from Smith Pactor McWhorter procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo. And Joe, let's review what this was all about, the procurement, and then there were three different issues of protest. So first, tell us what this procurement was for and what they spent. Sure. Well, this procurement came out of NASA's program to develop a human landing system for lunar exploration. So it's what we might call a spaceship, but uh, they call it a human landing system. They'd already awarded a research and development contract to three companies, SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Dynetics. And those companies uh, under that contract developed... uh, concepts of their operation. And now NASA is proceeding to the next stage in the program and wants to award two contracts to actually develop a human landing system. It did that under FAR Part 35 procedures for R&D contracting. R&D as opposed to production. Exactly. R&D as opposed to production or services or supplies, any of the usual things that you're used to buying under Part uh, 15, for example, for, for competitive proposals. Uh, three companies, those three companies, all competed for the contract. And um, when the evaluations and proposals were over, there was a lot of differences between the proposals. SpaceX had the highest non-price ranking and the lowest price. It was $3 billion. It was a lot of money, but it turned out to be the lowest priced offer. Yes, because Dynetics, the highest price offer was almost $9 billion, three times as much, and they were only marginal on management of, of the program, which was important to NASA. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm rounding off here, but, you know. But a three-to-one price with... ratio is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Blue Origin's right in the middle. Blue Origin had the second best technical ranking, and its price was $6 billion. So, The upshot of this is that as NASA proceeds to award the two contracts, it finds out it doesn't have enough appropriated funds for two contracts. Oops. Doesn't really even have enough for one contract, but it could sort of work around that, I guess. SpaceX gets the sole award, and uh, the two disappointed offerors have now been cut out of um, uh, lunar exploration contract uh, for human landing systems uh, are, are... protesting the award. So the first protest was on the fact that only one award was made and they were expecting two? Exactly. Blue Origin and Dynetics both objected to that and thought that NASA should have amended the solicitation and said, oh, sorry, we've only got enough for one, and then permitted revised proposals. GAO looked at the solicitation, and even though it expressed a clear intent to award two contracts and a preference for doing that, NASA also was honest in saying that it was you know, that, that approach was contingent on having sufficient funds. And uh, they didn't have the sufficient funds, so offerors were warned at the outset that it might only be a one-award situation. All right, so the second protest issue was having to do with FAR Part 35 instead of a, a Part 15 acquisition under competitive proposals. It sounds like they were using the FAR, though. NASA was using the FAR instead of an OTA. Right, this is definitely a... a procurement that was conducted under FAR procedures. There were a variety of protest grounds raised by Blue Origin and Dynetics. 
about ordinary things like a, the, an irrational evaluation uh, or an unreasonable evaluation in certain aspects, and whether certain um, items that were considered in the evaluation were within the scope of the uh, criteria. And the GAO distinguished R&D contracting under Part 35 from the Part 15 garden variety competitive proposal contracts. GAO said that that has uh, agency ha agencies have additional discretion under Part Part 35, and therefore the GAO protest review function is limited and more narrow than it would be otherwise. So therefore, that protest was not sustained either. Right. Th those grounds of protest uh, all failed. We're speaking with Joe Petrillo, a procurement attorney with Smith-Pactor-McWhorter. And what was the third protest ground, and how did that do? Well, it really came, it, it was really the exception to the rule that none of these other grounds passed muster. One of them slipped through and uh, was evaluated on its merits. And that is the waiver of a mandatory requirement for the awardee, SpaceX. And the requirement was the solicitation had these flight readiness reviews. They were mandated for each launch as part of the program. Blue Origin, for example, proposed a solution for getting to the moon with three launches, and each of those were subject to a flight readiness review. SpaceX had a, a totally different approach. They proposed 16 launches. They only offered to do three flight readiness reviews. 14 of the 16 missions were tanker missions, and it sort of lumped those together and did a single flight readiness review for that type of mission. That type of mission would not have a person aboard, in other words. Uh, yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. GAO did find that the protest ground was correct and that the solicitation still required flight readiness reviews for those launches as well. And both Blue Origin and Dynetics objected to that. Now, the problem here, though, is even though NASA's done something improper in waiving a mandatory requirement, the, the issue is whether the protest is going to be sustained. And there you need to show that there's a reasonable possibility of competitive prejudice. Blue Origin was only proposing three launches and couldn't have proposed any fewer than three flight readiness reviews. It wasn't prejudiced because it couldn't have gone down to two or one flight readiness review. In the case of Dynetics, or at least that was GAO's analysis, in the case of Dynetics, there, NASA had given Dynetics a significant weakness for failing to propose a significant number of flight readiness reviews. So, you know, this was a matter that did affect its evaluation. However, GAO looked at the fact that its price was significantly higher, three times the price of SpaceX, and its evaluation for technical and management factors were not as good as uh, SpaceX's. And in fact, they were the worst of the three competitors. So, you know, in that instance, GAO decided that Dynetics wasn't prejudiced either, and its protest failed on that ground. So NASA prevailed on all three grounds, and therefore the award to SpaceX is the one that they're going with. That's right. And so we're moving forward with trying to put a man on the moon and trying to figure out how to keep him there. And where's Freddie Laker when you need him? Joseph Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including commander, 
Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean 
And you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, DC, I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Many of us, if we're being honest, have given up hope on good sleep. But why? 
Well, if you're like me, you've tried everything and nothing has helped. So if we're not going to sleep well anyway, why try? That kind of thinking is so 2021. It's time to rethink our nights and days and demand more from our sleep. Talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.